0: The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivalled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12 week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk/slash/summer.
1: Hello, and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Rose. And I'm Paul Goodman from Conservative Home and Katie Balls. Lee Anderson, he has been causing some trouble this week. He's the deputy chairman of the Conservative Party and former minor. Katie, is he a problem for the Conservatives?
2: He's managed to be annoying to both parties this week. The first one was the f off comment, which we talked about earlier this week, saying if asylum seekers do not like the latest barge, um, they can f off back to France. Um, ministers didn't directly quote it or say they agreed with it, but you did have more mild mannered figures such as Alex Chalk say so they agreed with the sentiment. That was, and, and I think you know it's. Probably for the Tories, vaguely helpful in the sense of things a minister would not go so far as to say, but they think might speak to some of their voters. Then for Labour, they were asked, oh, do you agree with this? And that's annoying for Keir Starmer's party because Keir Starmer is trying to get Labour to... Take this line on things like small boats and immigration, um, whereby they do not get morally indignant. They do not say this is cruel. The, the Rwanda policy is cruel. You, you do not hear front benches saying that. Instead, they say it is unworkable. You know, the Tories have failed. Look how long they've been in power and trying to remove um, what you would typically see. You know, if you imagine that if Jeremy Corbyn was still leader, or even I think perhaps Ed Miliband, um, which is much more, um, this is morally wrong. And if you think back to Yvette Cooper holding that, you know, refugees welcome, I cannot imagine Yvette Cooper now holding that refugees welcome sign from when Ed Miliband was leader. So it puts the pressure in that sense. But then on the flip side, you then heard Lee Anderson on his GV News show um, say, saying that the Tories have failed on immigration is what lots of Tory uh, MPs privately think, including some ministers, when you look at how uh, the number of crossings this week has hit over 100,000 over the past five years. Um, that is not uh, a record they are particularly proud of, um, but it's not something you say publicly, particularly if you're the deputy chairman and you have an official title. It's something that could easily fit on a leaflet. And uh, therefore, I think Paul has written a very interesting piece this week on this. But is, you know, his Leanderson which is Rishi Silek's secret weapon, I don't think there is that much design there. I think he can be helpful at times, but he's an unpredictable figure. That's partly why he was picked. Um, I think he counterbalances uh, Greg Hans as chairman in a Chelsea and Fulham seat um, to have uh, a Red Wall MP. Um, that is, you know, to, to balance it so CCHQ looks as though it's well represented in all these different seats, but he's not the most important figure when we think about how the Tories are going to fight the next election in attacks.
1: Paul, for any usual politician, some of the things that Lee Anderson has said would have there, it would be a career ender. Why do you think some of this bolshiness works so well for him?
0: I think he's part of a trend. Um, the main parties have always had um, people who are a bit off message. So on the Labour side, you'd look around um, and you'd um, think of Claire Short or in modern times, Jess Phillips, who are kind of people who speak their minds Or on the Tory side, there have been quite a lot of them. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Nadine Dorries, and of course the exemplar who actually made an art of um, being a a piece of grit in the political oyster was Boris Johnson. I think the fascinating aspect of uh, Lee Anderson is that he may be pointing towards an age where it's just impossible to have this new Labour type message discipline Um, we got used to, um 25 years ago and if you think of political parties as a choir you know there was Alastair campbell as a kind of choir master insisting everyone sung with one voice you can't do that in an age of social media it's harder to do it when mps are more like uh, local campaigners than um creatures of the whips because they are they are um noisier and and more rebellious and there is this modern trend to authenticity people kind of um like um politicians who uh wear their hearts on their sleeve they've got this appeal in this age that they didn't have before so i find he's quite interesting from that point of view as maybe a a pointer to the future
1: and paul does lee anderson work within his own Unit does he have a group a little following? We had a Miriam Cates on Women Were Bulls a few months back, and and she said, you know, she she really looks up to Lee Anderson as, as a figure in the party. Does he? Do you think he could form a bit of a group?
0: Well, he he seems to be um, popular with his colleagues. Um, he was top of the Con Home Politician of the Year um, vote uh, at, at Christmas, um, so um, maybe our readers are or are not responsible for kind of part of part of his rise but i i think the um what what makes him useful to the conservatives and a bit frightening for labor it isn't really class i think the class thing is a bit of a red herring um it's more that um he is ex-labor he's an ex-minor he sits in what's basically a red wool seat he's basically one of labor's own and it's that that frightens labor quite know how to deal with him because if they attack him it seems like attacking a section of their voters and the conservatives don't quite know what to do with it either but they relish having him because he's part of the coalition that they desperately need to assemble
1: and do you think rishi sunak had a, a particular role when appointing him as deputy chairman
0: i don't read rishi sunak as being a kind of george osborne figure i mean osborne when he was Chancellor, it was famously across all the government appointments, and had a big hand in them. Uh, this sounds to me, that I don't know, like sort of somebody else's idea, and I think it does um, lead me to something that political journalists should bear in mind: that we're, we're very prone to say Downing Street thinks this or Downing Street believes that. Well, who in Downing Street? I'm I'm finding Downing Street's a bit divided about Lee Anderson. There are some people who think it was a brilliant appointment and a Socking idea. And there are other people who look at him um, using foul language and attacking the government's record and think, what have we done?
2: Yeah, I think there's often two Downing Streets. Sometimes there's more than two. Um, and I think in Richie Sunak's case, you will have some around him who are more traditional, old school Tory Um William Hague not technically in Downing Street uh, though I think has influence on Downing Street I think would be very fair to say and it's probably more in that camp um, and you've got aides who I think are more similar to that and then you have those which um, I think some actually going back to the Treasury team that moved over um, a bit more closely with that 2019 coalition of voters they knew uh, you know, the vote leave uh, team and they're a little bit more likely to Um, you think about the messaging around the 2019 election be a bit more robust or uh, a bit more keen for the fight Um, a bit more ready to be a bit more radical and shake things up and I don't think there is I actually think it's one of the famous last words Um, I think it's more cohesive and functional than recent number 10s have been though that perhaps isn't saying that much given what happened to the past two prime ministers um but it's quite normal to have those different dynamics and therefore it tends to be that end which is a bit more that shake things up he will be the type who will say lee anderson inspired appointment and then those who are a bit more uh you know th- thinking back to a bit more traditional in their messaging will think oh that one, did he really just say that? Uh, and so forth. I mean, it, to to look back, it was James Heal, currently away. Back on Monday, listeners will be delighted to know who interviewed Lee Anderson just before actually he became deputy party chairman. So the interview took place the week before it happened, but it came out after he had become it, um, which gave him some gr- a grey area, I think. But he did say in the interview that he supported capital punishment. Then you had to have you know Rishi Sunak and all these clips say that's lee's opinion but i don't think that was even seen as particularly damaging to be honest um i think when when um it was flagged to a few people in government that uh, he had said this in an interview there was a bit of a oh, can, can we just see the wording on that uh, <laughs> just to see where, where, where you were um but when you think about those two dynamics i think we can overread, and i say this having mentioned lee anderson on the podcast earlier so we can now the bulk of this podcast on Lee Anderson. We can overread the importance of Lee Anderson. Um when it comes to attack mode, which the Tories plan to move into, it is just one part of it. And as Paul touches on, I don't think that, you know, it's seen as that Lee Anderson is gonna be, you know, the front and centre of the things they're planning. I don't think he's consulted on quite a lot of the things they are planning um in the role he is in. Um but he can be a useful figure in some things he says. Instead I think you are seeing, you know, in, in the first part of this year which is, you know, entering number 10, an attempt to slow down the news, um, all those things, you know, it at times led to a news vacuum, um, but you'd hear you guys are hooked on the adrenaline of the past year, you need to slow down. And I think as we go into the autumn, it's, uh, you know, pacing things up quite a lot and also becoming much more um, aggressive towards Labour. And when you speak to senior figures in government, I remember one conversation whereby um, they were, you know, saying, you know, what's the biggest mistake that Keir Starmer has made this year and suggest you go back to spring where Labour did those attack ads um in the recess period um and uh, they caused a big row at the time people said they were gutter politics which was not what Labour should be doing well now I think the Tories think well great that's a green light we'll just see you in the gutter mates and we're gonna see now we'll see how far they go because Rishi is such a smooth talking politicians sometimes that I think they can say yeah he's gonna fight and you might not feel as is really as um aggressive as perhaps the briefings but certainly the plan I think is to be a lot more personal on attacks particularly go for Keir Starmer's record in DPP um because they see crime as a as a dividing line issue and probably do some some attacks which are Going to have people say it's foul play, um, but interestingly, this will be coming, you know, from ministers, but also quite a few from the prime minister himself. Number ten will be critical, and they'll say, "Oh well, Keir Starmer doesn't even do his own dirty work." So I think they're th- they claiming, at least, Rishi Sunak will do his own dirty work.
1: Paul, what do you think else is in, in the in the weapons of, for the attack?
0: Well, I'm thinking, um, as we're recording this podcast, of a newspaper headline from the 2005 election, and I cannot remember what it was about. The headline was Liar, liar, elections on fire. So we've had all this before. But I think it will be um, a nastier election than ever because um, I suspect the Conservatives will return to uh, Starmer's um, record as DPP and I would expect Savile to resurface. Um, and that's a particularly... Um, sensitive and rather horrible subject but um, just to, to give you a, a flavour of where it might go I mean Conservative Holmes to Lord Ashcroft, has written a biography of Stoner and um, uh, it's not an excitable biography but he makes the point that the Savile failure happened on Stommer's watch as DPP, doesn't mean he personally knew about it happened on his watch so you can expect a bit of that and Katie was talking about the Labour attack in the, earlier earlier this year I think there's a sort of strategic dilemma for them which is do we um, uh, wait for this to happen and reply or do we try to get our own attack in early and show them that we're not going to take this lying down and one theory of what happened is that that is um, what those attack house were all about, although a very clever Labour friend of mine said he doubted, having looked at the whole story, whether there was any coherent strategy to the plan at all.
2: I, I, I agree on the Jimmy Savile point. I think we we potentially will hear more of that. I remember having a senior Tory say to me, you know, people get very angry about it, but it cuts through, it comes up. And uh, I also do remember around the time of this Labour attack ad, someone quite senior saying, uh, I was like, what do you think of them? Do you think they're effective? And it's like, well, they had a go at about Savile, and now we can do that. So so I think it is a bit as though you're raving, uh, they felt like waving a red flag to a bull, which gives them a light. Um, but as you say, Paul, um. Perhaps there's always, uh, we use the word strategy um, to cover some things which are a more of a here and there rather than a cohesive grand plan that will all come together beautifully.
1: Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Katie. And thanks for listening.